This is really special because if some of you know, I have a podcast called Creative Masterminds, but I recently rebranded to Next Level Brand Behavior. And to have our very own Lieutenant Governor, Juliana Stratton, be the first interview for Next Level Brand Behavior is really amazing. So, um, and to have all you beautiful women in the room is awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so she really, she really needs no introduction, um, but I'm going to introduce her. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton is excited to serve Illinois as the state's 48th Lieutenant Governor. Previously, Lieutenant Governor Stratton represented the 5th District in the Illinois House of Representatives. Prior to her time in the state government, she was the director of the Center for Public Safety and Justice at the University of Illinois at Chicago, where she trained law enforcement agencies to build strong relationships with the communities they serve. She also is a professional meditator. No, not meditator, mediator. But I do meditate. <laughs> I do meditate. Meditate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and operated her own small business for over 20 years. Lieutenant Governor Stratton is a lifelong Illinoisan and was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. South side. <laughs> she is a proud graduate of Kenwood Academy. I know we have some young ladies here from Kenwood. The University of Illinois and DePaul University. Shell. <laughs> DePaul University College of Law, excuse me. She has three daughters, one of whom is in the room, Tyler Stratton, and enjoys going to concerts and running marathons and triathlons. Yes. And is there anything else that you'd like to add that I may have missed? Well, first of all, Andrea, thank you so much for having me. And I did not know that this was your very first episode <laughs> as the rebranded Next Level Brand <laughs> Behavior Podcast. Yes. So congratulations to thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> And Arshel, thank you so much for hosting us tonight. And to all of you who are here, I'm so glad to see your faces and to sit in conversation with you over the next several minutes or however long you have me. I'm not sure how long it is. <laughs> um, but I guess I would just say um, I live not too far from here. And so I was really glad to see that this is a space where um, girls and women can come. Um, one thing that wasn't mentioned is I'm the new chair of the Illinois Council on Girls and Women. And so the fact that this is work that you're doing and I'm going to be learning about what you're doing here and through your podcast as well, I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Governor Pritzker and I were sworn in on January 14th. Um, I'm proud to serve as your Lieutenant Governor. And when I was sworn in, I actually made history as the first black Lieutenant Governor of the state of Illinois. And so I really feel how, that it's a responsibility to make sure that we are inclusive of all voices that we make sure that our voices are heard and that we lift up the issues that are most um, pressing for our communities. And the best way to do that is to talk directly to the people who are affected by many of the issues in our community. So I'm glad to have that conversation with you tonight. Awesome, so glad to have you here. And I, I failed to mention, um, I'm so excited that to partner with Girls Inc. Um, Arshel opened her doors um, when I mentioned I wanted to do this and it was a perfect collaboration. So we have these beautiful young ladies in the room as well as 
women in different careers and we have mothers in the room, daughters, we have business owners and executives. So it's just a wide array of women and um, young ladies in the room who are well on their way um, to their next level. Um, so I want to thank Arshel for having me here um, and allowing me to host this event in her space and share this moment with her. So thank you so much. Jump right in. Sure. <laughs> so whenever I would talk to people, because um, I, I love branding, mm -hmm. I love brand development, and I think everyone is creative. And I always ask people, what's your creative love story? Creativity is the ability to create. And, you know, from what we know, you create change in people's lives. And so when did your admiration for law and creating change in people's lives like make its debut? Well, I think I love the fact that you think about us all having the ability to create and to be creative. And I would say that um, for me, I think back, I, I'm a lawyer and I went to law school. I went to DePaul University College of Law. And while I was in law school, I um, practiced, you know, I, I was trained as a mediator. And that's when I first was trained through the Center for Conflict Resolution to understand this process of alternative dispute resolution, or how do you bring people together to try to resolve their differences without going to court. But nevertheless, I was a lawyer. And so I looked forward to leaving law school, graduating from law school, joining a firm, which I did, and then helping people to fight it out in court. I knew how to argue. I won our moot court competition in, at DePaul. I, Felt like I could argue pretty well, and I like to argue to win. But what happened was after practicing for a couple of years, what I realized is that fighting it out and arguing in court was really not at the core of who I am. I was much more in, al in alignment with being a mediator, being somebody who can bring people together, somebody who can problem solve, somebody who will not only just kind of say, well, who wins and who loses, but how can we all win? How can we all come together and find out how to resolve the, our differences and see if we can come up with a win-win solution so that everybody can leave not only having addressed the substantive issues, but to also perhaps preserve the relationship. And I didn't see that happening in court. People walked out, somebody was happy, somebody wasn't. The lawyers were fine, they were getting paid and I, nothing wrong with that. That was their career and that was their job. But what I felt like for myself I wanted to be someone that brought people together. It was a value of mine. It was something that felt right for me. And so I think what was created there was sort of um, uh, my own personal values and my vision for what I wanted to do, which was uh, to be a mediator, to be someone who was seen as a conciliator, as someone who reconciled people and rebuilt relationships that had been broken. So I practiced for a couple of years, but then I left to start my own business. And I know you said we have some business owners with us. I had my own alternative dispute resolution practice for over 20 years, primarily doing mediation, arbitration, and administrative law judge, serving as an administrative law judge, mostly in uh, dealing with cases regarding employment discrimination. Um, but like I said, it was much more in alignment with who I wanted to be on a daily basis. It's hard to argue every day and fight things out every day. I mean, we have enough that we are fighting for in our own careers as we try to advance and go to that next level. And so um, for me, it just seemed like uh, I thought that I could do much more good by kind of shifting my focus as an attorney 
And uh, it certainly served me well as I think about how my career progressed. I can see that role of mediator being intertwined into everything that I've done. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And so um, that's really robust. And those are some amazing things. And so I wonder, because a lot of us are on different journeys mm -hmm. and we've journeyed from maybe having a position at our workplace and to being promoted and perhaps starting our own business um, or just transitioning within careers. It may have been transitioning from a different career path. And so were there obstacles along the way just to inspire someone who may be transitioning into starting their own business or being promoted somewhere? And so what were some of the obstacles and how did you overcome those? Well, there's always obstacles. Um, I think that um, as a woman, there are always obstacles because sexism is real and gender bias is real. As a woman of color, as a black woman, there are always challenges and obstacles because racism is real um, and, and racial bias and implicit bias is real. So there were always obstacles, but not just that. There were obstacles by the fact that um, I was in that, what they call the sandwich generation where I was raising my children, but at the same time caring for my mother who was older, she lived with us and then she ended up being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So that was a challenge and an obstacle as I kind of thought about where I was supposed to be going. Um, there were challenges around um, just, you know, as a business owner and thinking about how to create opportunity. All, there were a lot of challenges, um, but I can say that there was a way to always find some way to overcome those challenges and to not feel bogged down by those challenges. And so when I think about how I approached it, it was always just to kind of be open to whatever was next, kind of just be open to opportunity. I just tried to work really hard. I tried to stay focused on what I was doing at the present moment um, and be ready for whatever. So I always thought, what are ways that I can improve my skills and thinking about, you know, what are some things that I could do to make sure that as a mediator, as um, you know, how could I learn specific skills in another area besides employment discrimination. I remember thinking about how will I take on opportunities that perhaps others might, you know, you might doubt yourself. I think that happens a lot. I think it happens a lot more with women in particular around, am I ready to do this? Is this something that I can step into? Um, am I prepared? And oftentimes men just say, oh yeah, I can do it. And women have to be convinced, you know, we have to be asked, including running for office, by the way, there's some studies from, there's a study from Rutgers University that says for running for office, men are asked once, do you think you want to run for president? Yes, I do. And I'm going to do it. Women almost nine times it takes before we will say yes. And yet we all know how important it is to have women in, role, in roles of elected office. And so uh, serving in elective office. And so I think a lot of it is, being patient for me, overcoming obstacles of recognizing that the obstacles are also helping me to grow and to learn and to develop a thicker skin so that I'll be ready for what's next. For example, it's not easy being in elected office. You're under public scrutiny. I went through some really tough campaigns, two consecutive tough campaigns, first for state representative, then for lieutenant governor running with Governor Pritzker. And I can say that, um, you know, they weren't easy. It was, it's not easy to go through those kinds of situations, but it developed the thickness of my skin 
um, so that when other things happen, I they kind of roll off my shoulders because I'm, you know, yeah. I'm right. And I feel like that's a part of going to the next level yeah. because the higher you go to that next level that you go, you have to be prepared to take some tough, you know, make tough decisions, be in tough situations. And I think having some tougher skin, I think sometimes the obstacles are really a training ground for mm-hmm. us to be prepared for what's next. That's awesome. A training ground. I'm going to remember that every time I go into something (laughs) Um, because sometimes we do see obstacles as barriers. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said it's a training ground. If you see it in a positive light, um, you can overcome it. Yeah. And that's not to, I mean, I mentioned some barriers such as racism, sexism, and homophobia, lots of other barriers that we can think of. I'm not saying that these aren't very real barriers. There are very real barriers and we have to be able to speak out against them um, and and then act to make sure that we are moving the ball forward and making sure that we're providing more access. But I think one of the things that we can do as women in particular is make sure that when we have access, when we go to that next level, that we are always making space to bring other women along Mm -hmm. because that's going to be the thing that really changes things. And we have more women in these positions making decisions and making sure that we are in at the tables where decisions are being made. Those are the ways that obstacles get removed. People are not so easy to kind of give up structures of power to say, oh yeah, come on in. I want to give you some room. That's not easy. Oftentimes it's a struggle, but the, so when those kinds of obstacles come up, they're very real. I don't want to minimize them, but I think that there are ways around it. And part of it is just being very vocal about what they are, calling them out for what they are, and then making sure that we are building coalitions and bringing others along with us to say, this is wrong and we should do differently. Awesome. That was amazing. (laughs) Um, If anyone knows me, I always say a brand is a promise. Um, I think I've read so many definitions about what a brand is, what brand it is. And I define a brand as a promise. Is your why. A promise is is your why. Your brand is your why, why you exist. And um, you you were a mediator, you know, and if you can tell us what's your why, you know, what's your purpose? What is your one why? And, you know, that you define, that you define, how you define your promise to the world, your why. And how have you infused that why into every area of our of your life? Um, because sometimes we can get chameleon syndrome. I've had chameleon syndrome where my why is different at work, but then I get around a group of friends and my why changes, you know, depending on the situation that I'm in. And it takes a lot of maturity to just kind of be who you are and stand for what you want, especially when you're trying to get to your next level. So I'm just curious about what's your why and how did you infuse it into every area of your life? Well, my why um, in many ways is to always be authentically me and to connect the dots. So sometimes, you know, I'm running on when I'm running a campaign and people are always like, you just seem like you're having so much fun. You just seem like you just connect and you're just, you know, regular. You you like to dance. And, you know, I've had people throughout my life, especially in the political space, tell me, you know, you know, you can't do that. You can't wear your jeans because you're on the campaign trail. You can't dance because you're a candidate. You can't. (laughs) And you get to this point in your life where you just realize that. There's power in being authentically you, being authentically yourself. And for me, um, I see my why as not just being authentically myself, 
but to connect the dots for other people to help them find that for themselves. It's something that I've done in every space that I've found myself in, whether it's organizations or workplaces or in my family. Um, my daughters know that we have, you know, check-ins. We have peace circles at home where we check in just to see how are we doing and what's happening and what moves do you need to make in, in our office. You know, there are a couple of people from my team here today. We have a check-in every week where we just want to find out because I always feel like if we are well, then the work that we do will be well. And I think too often we focus on the work, but we don't connect the dots to the fact that when we do work, Individuals come to the workspace, they come to the office, and they are dealing with life, they are dealing with trauma, they are dealing with um, mental health issues, they are dealing with um, anxiety and stress. Same for students who are here. You will know every time somebody walks into school, it's everybody wants to think everybody is just all at, a, at 100, but that's not the case because life is happening and it's the same in adulthood. So um, I think for me, I try to help people, not necessarily through a lecture, but just through listening and conversation. And these are all things that I've really learned as a mediator, as a restorative justice practitioner around how we are all connected. There's a, um, a, a word, Ubuntu, which means um, it, it means I am because we are. I am because we are. And it really speaks to the fact that we are all connected. So if I can't stop to see how you are doing and, and to not just give the surface, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Well, then let me tell you about this. But really, how are you? And pause long enough to hear the answer and to genuinely want to know the answer. And I think in our society, we move so fast these days that, that even just a question of how are you? gets kind of brushed to the side or we don't feel like anybody ever really wants to. I know, I know many of us, I know I felt like, yeah, you're asking me, but you don't really want me to tell you how I'm doing. <laughs> you probably don't have time for that. You're just asking because it's become a, a, a common courtesy. But I think what we need to do more of, and that's what I like to find with people is to create space for us to do that, to create space, to sit down at a meal or just create space to pause and say, it's okay for us just to connect because what's happening with you happens to me. And what happens to me is happening to you. And so the work that I'm doing around justice reform, the governor signed an executive order establishing the Justice Equity and Opportunity Initiative, which I lead. Um, and it's really to bring an equity lens to policymaking in our state. And specifically, when I talk about justice, I say we have to stop thinking about justice just in terms of policing jails and prisons, but expand the conversation to what's happening with affordable housing and what's happening with employment and what's happening with health care and education and how do we bring access to all of that. That's real justice. But when I go to a place like Stateville Prison, where I spoke at the graduation and I'm looking at 200 men and I see seven graduates, all of whom were serving a life sentence, then what I recognize is we're connected. It's not okay to think somebody's just over there. There are no disposable people. We are connected. And so where we see injustice or where we see dehumanization, we have to recognize that none of us will be our fullest selves. None of us will be our fullest expression of humanity as long as anyone is being dehumanized. That was powerful. Um, so when we're thinking about just 
creating change. A lot mm -hmm. of people here, even our young people um, in their schools, um, are trying to create change, are trying to, you know, not only take themselves to the next level, but take other people with them mm -hmm. or um, kind of just just do something impactful in society. And oftentimes we talked about obstacles and we talked about um, barriers. How do you define success and failure? You know, what mm -hmm. does failure look like and what does success look like even when you're, you're trying to get there? Because sometimes we're afraid, of, I can honestly say I've been afraid of failure. Sometimes I won't move on um, speaking my piece about something because I'm like, oh, I may fail or I may disappoint. But I'm just curious in the position that you're in and, you know, so much that you've done, how do you define success versus failure? Yeah, I think one of the ways that I define success is the ability to insert yourself into spaces that may be hostile to who you truly are and then remain true to who you really are. I mean, that to me is successful. If you can go into spaces where you know there is hostility, when you know that there are people who are not you know, respecting who, the, who you are at your very core and you still come out of it saying, but I am who I am and you're not going to change me. And I think too often um, it's so easy to be changed based upon well, what is somebody else thinking about me or what will they think if I do this? So I better change myself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, so I think that the ability to really go into places and still be who you are, true to yourself, to know your value, that requires, by the way, being very clear on who you are. Mm -hmm. And that requires some work. It, it requires taking some time to really ask yourself the question. There's an exercise that I often do in circles where I say, who are you? And you answer the question, who are you? And you just keep asking. And as many things as you can think of, and maybe that's something that you all could do, just, you know, in you and your listeners, to say, who are you? And you write it out. And then keep asking that question over again. Who am I? Who am I? And keep going until you can't think of anything else. But at the core, what are your values? What are the things that you believe in? What are the things that you are not willing to jeopardize or sacrifice for anything or anyone? And when you know that and then can go into spaces that are hostile to that, because think in, in Springfield, for example, there are people who have a certain perspective and there are people who have an opposite perspective. Some think a bill is a great idea. Some think it's the worst thing that could be done. Um, but when you can go into those spaces and really say, look, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And I'm not going to be swayed by the fact that there's opposition. Um, I think that's where you find success. I don't really, honestly, and I know it sounds cliche. I really don't think of failure. I really don't think of failure. What is failure? What is failure? If you went out there, you said that there's a time that you might not want to speak. And so you might not speak. But if you do speak, what does failure look like? If you took the risk, if you took the chance, if you put yourself out there, mm -hmm. let's say nobody likes what you have to say. Okay. But you did what you were supposed to do at that moment. And I think especially for women, using our voices and not ignoring those times that you were in places where you were uniquely designed to use your voice. That's where we have to do that. Because if we don't, I won't call it failure, but if we miss that opportunity, there's something that's not going to happen for someone because we decided to be silent. There's a 
writer and a poet that I often quote, who I love, Audre Lorde, she said, your silence will not protect you. And I love that because there's times that we think that our silence will protect us. Well, we'll keep, it'll keep us from criticism or our silence will make sure everybody's comfortable in the room. I'm in, I'm in the conference room, I'm in the boardroom, I'm in this the, the school meeting, the club meeting. Nobody's gonna wanna hear what I have to say, so I'm just gonna be quiet. Or if I say it, so-and-so is gonna get upset. And the bottom line is none of that's gonna protect you. You have to speak, you have to use your voice, find your voice, first find it, then use it, because someone's healing is in your words. Someone's healing is in your words. Some, someone's liberation is found in your words. And so when we're silent, then we miss those opportunities. We're just being right there. <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, as you're on your road to success and as you're getting to your next level, you get help along the way. And some of us, some of us call them our tribes, um, our personal board of directors, our villages. You know, it may be our co-workers. There are a lot of popular terms. And so I call these people your community of advocates because um, I believe that everyone should have people advocating for them um, to help them get to that next level. And so how have you developed your community? Well, I love that term community of advocates, because when I think about it, it's really about the people who will advocate for you. And I kind of think about this from the standpoint that there are people who are cheering you on, and then there are people who are rooting for you. And it sounds very similar, but for me, I think I make this distinction. People can cheer you on because it's the popular thing to do, or they're supposed to, or oh, here she comes, everybody's all excited, I guess I better, you know. <laughs> they'll cheer you on and they'll say the right words, but are they rooting for you? And I think of rooting, like cheering you on is very public. It's the thing that people might do to cheer you on, but who are the people who are rooting for you? Where they are quiet about it, where they know right deep, down deep inside, they want you to succeed. They want the very best for you. And they might not ever have to say anything loud and they don't have to make the whole, oh, I'm going to use all the big flowery words. But deep down, they're like, I got you. Who are those people? That's who we have to find. That's who I try to find in my corner. I have people. I often say, who are the people who just love me as I am and love me enough to tell me the truth about myself? You don't need to do that. You don't need to go there. That's not a good idea. Um, that's part of who you need in your corner, not just the ones that will prop you up and, and stand to just say, because there are a lot of people who, as you continue to go to the next level, they want to hang around because, oh, you're going, maybe I can go too. And, and it's okay because we want everyone to be able to have opportunities and be lifted up. But if the only reason is because they're thinking about themselves, that's not really somebody who's your community of advocates. The community of advocates is, I want the best for you, you want the best for me, and we're going to go to the next level together. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and I'm really glad you shared that because we have young women in the room. And I know in high school, it's a critical time. Yes. It's a lot of peer pressure. 
Um, so I'm so glad you stated that today. There's peer pressure all throughout. Right. <laughs> I just want to say that. Because right. a lot of times we talk about peer pressure for high school, but it does not end. This question right. of how we're supposed to, you know, just in all sorts of ways, what we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to, you know, you know have to have children or not? Do we have to get married? Because everybody's saying you have to get married. Do we have to have a certain type of job? Can I stay at home and raise my kids? Whatever it is. There's pressure. Somebody's yes. giving a message that it's okay or not okay, which goes back to why we have to know for ourselves what's right for us. Yeah. And then you say, yeah, I, I appreciate your advice. This is what I'm going to do because this is what's best for me. Awesome. Yes, that's very true. Peer pressure is across the, the way. <laughs> um, you mentioned, just briefly, when you mentioned, you, you mentioned a little bit about concerns that come up in personal life you know, marriage and children. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a balancing act. Um, and I'm just curious when you're thinking about, or not thinking about, but with all your obligations to all the people that you serve in this mighty, mighty great state. 13 million. <laughs> yes. There's a number, 13 million. <laughs> 13 million. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of pressure. Um, and I'm just curious. And for some of us, with just the communities that we serve and uh, within our workplaces, but also the obligations we have at home and within friendships. And, you know, how do you practice self-care? And self-care is so tough. I know for like the busy woman, it's like, I got to do this. I have to take care of this. We're nurturers naturally. So how do you practice self-care and why is it so important? Yes. So, Oh, so I, I <laughs> sometimes it starts with that, just breathing, just being able to breathe. Um, so there's a number of things that I do for self-care, but I think I also like to think of how we can be, you know, loving and kind and gentle with ourselves just kind of on a day-to-day -day basis. So the first thing is the acknowledgement that we are not machines. And I always think about that because machines, you know, keep going. They might get a tune up here and there, but we're not machines. We're human beings and we require rest. And I think unlike most cultures, like if you travel, I love to travel. You don't go other places in any other cultures, but right here in the U.S. where there's such a, an, a culture of working nonstop, of ha being connected at all times, of being able to access at any and all hours. That's us. That's the culture that we're in. And so um, we're not machines. So we have to find times and spaces to unplug in whichever way that we can do it. So I try to find time, as you mentioned, I'm a marathoner and a triathlete, although because of campaigning, I've been campaigning, it feels like for three years straight, one for a state rep and then, uh, well, it wasn't a year, but a good intense campaign. And then for very shortly after that for Lieutenant Governor. And um, so I like to work out. I like to head to the gym. I like to find things to do that. I wake up in the morning. I have a routine of doing certain breathing exercises to just get that, just deep breathing and getting my lungs filled with air and recognizing it's the new day. I do some yoga poses in the morning and then meditate, take some time to clear my head and then devotion and prayer. I have certain rituals at home. So I think about every night, there are candles lit, there's music, 
um, just little ways. I don't have a TV in the bed. In fact, there's one TV in the home. It doesn't, I don't watch it that often because I, after what my schedule requires, which is nonstop day-to-day -day interactions, I like to totally kind of decompress. And here's something that many people don't know. I'm an introvert. And people don't know that. They don't think that I'm an introvert because I have to be so public and I talk and I love talking to people, but I am an introvert. I'm an extroverted introvert. When I get home, I have to recharge. Like I almost have to go into my little, like a turtle or tortoise going in its shell because I can't, you know, I can only do, I have so much energy that I can give out. So that's it. But here's a couple of things that I would say though, that I just always want to say to women in particular. No, mm. period. <laughs> it's a sentence. We can say it. We can say no, period. Let's practice. Yes. No. no. <laughs> so we don't have to say yes to everything. Yeah. And we can recognize that, yes, I'm a nurturer. Because I'm a nurturer, I'm going to say no, because I can't really care for you because I haven't cared for myself so, lately. Yes. So let me do that. And then maybe I'll be able to help you later. But for right now, this week, I can't do it. Nope, this weekend I've decided to stay at home and just kind of like veg out watching TV. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And we're always concerned about what people will think about that. What are, I'm going to miss the party. They're going to be upset because I didn't come to their thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> no is the answer. And then secondly, I would just say, um, think about your mental health. And I say this to women in particular, and especially um women of color who often aren't taught very early on that it's okay to go to a therapist. It's okay to, to care for your mental health. It's okay to acknowledge that we are not just our physical beings, but we are, we have mental health. Our brain is part of our body. And yet too often we say we want to be healthy and we think being healthy is going to the gym. Healthy is working out. Healthy is, oh, I'm going to change my diet. And we totally miss our mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to deal with our mental, make sure we're addressing our mental health needs as well. And in, in whichever way, sometimes it's just good to have somebody to talk to. Sometimes it's just good to have a safe space. And so I just wanted to say to everyone that I encourage <laughs> you to, um, you know, never think that your mental health is less important than your physical health because we are whole human beings. And so we have to take care of our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual selves. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that, you know, finally, I would just say that we don't have to try to keep making other people happy. We are not responsible for other people's happiness. And I think that's part of self-care, that uh, sometimes we take on too much of a burden for others. It is in our nature. When I was caring for my mother, caring for children, working, doing all of those things, I remember how heavy it often was. By the way, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I lost my mother in 2016. I would do it again in a heartbeat. But I think sometimes we don't recognize our limits and we think, and you know, sort of, you know, we think that we can do it all and carry it all, and we can't. We just simply can't. So sometimes you have to just think, everybody's not going to be happy with this. And by the way, people aren't happy when you decide to prioritize yourself. There are a lot of people who, who get downright angry at the mm -hmm. fact that you're not at their disposal any longer. Mm 
But I think it's really important for you to prioritize right now in my life, what are the things that I can really focus on? The things that I can prioritize right now for myself, for my own sanity, for my own health, for my family, whatever it is. I'm starting a business. I gotta focus on my business. I'm trying to grow my business. I have places I wanna go. I'm a student. I'm trying to get to a certain place. I have a college that I'm trying to get into or a, a trade school or whatever it is you're trying to do. You can't do everything, but we kind of have these messages that you need to do it all. You don't need to do it all because quite frankly, we can't do it all. And so it's better to find the few things that we can. And if it doesn't make everybody happy, so be it, we'll be better off for it. And I think that's important uh, first and foremost. That's awesome. I'm so glad you said no. I have to work on my no because my no is opposite. It's like no to my trainer, no to like I'm saying no to no to fruits and vegetables. Like, <laughs> my no is totally opposite. So I have to work on my no. You know, um, so I'm glad. You said Can I just that. say though why? Honestly, yeah. because you're worth it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's why. You don't say no to the trainer and the vegetables and the fruits because those are things that are good for you and those are the things that are going to make you the best that you can be. Say no to the stuff that is not going to help you get to your next level. Yeah. But the things that should, those are the things we say yes to. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we miss the mark. You know, we do be gentle with ourselves. We miss it and then we say, okay, let me try better tomorrow. Yeah. That's the beauty of a tomorrow, right? Yeah. That's awesome. My last question. Okay. <laughs> um, I said there were so many women in the room coming from all walks of life, um, life. and just kind of going down the line, you know, what would you say, tell your teenage self? Mm -hmm. You know, if you could tell, go back in time and tell your teenage self something, mm -hmm. what would you say? You know, what would you say, tell your 20 something self? Your 30 something self, you know, I want to say you're in your 30s, so I'm going to, you know, stop there. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows my 28 year old daughter is right back there, who I had when I was two, <laughs> apparently. My mama taught me never, you know, when it comes to a woman's age. <laughs> um, I, just... I have no qualms saying I am 53 yes. and proud. <laughs> yes. So your, your, your teenage self, 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, because um, we're all in different stages and we keep telling ourselves a different story sometimes yeah. when we get to those different stages. Mm -hmm. So what would you have told your teenage self, you know, going down yeah. the line? Well, the same thing that I would say in every decade is the same thing that you talked about in one of your earliest questions, that it's a journey, not a destination. Mm. You know, you think you're going to hit 20s and life is going to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. Or if I just can hit, when I hit 30, <laughs> you know, all of this is going to be together. But we are constantly evolving. We are constantly growing. We are constantly becoming better. But more importantly, we're constantly learning more about ourselves. And so you only know what you know at whatever age, and that's fine for what that age is, that is great. But it's not all you're going to know. You're gonna keep growing and you're gonna keep learning and you're gonna keep discovering. And at some point you will settle into like, okay, this is, this is where I'm to be, this is who I am. And it just takes time. So. You know, and even now, I still think of ways that I'm still evolving, things that I'm still learning and the ways that I want to grow, things that I want to improve about myself. But there becomes a settling. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that, you know, when you're in your, you know, I, I hear all the time from like my own daughters, like adulting is hard. <laughs> adulting is hard. I'm like, yes, it is. Um, because you, you know, you have this pressure on yourself that it has to be a certain way. And so I would just say that it's going to work out. Like I would look at like, especially the young women in the room, like you're going to be good. You are good. Like it's going to be all right. You're going to do the things that you want to do. You're going to keep learning. And sometimes you think something is like uh, a door that was closed and you feel like it's the most devastating thing that could have ever happened to you. That's happened to me where I've had doors closed on job opportunities or something that I thought this was my path and you just feel it in your bones. This is going to happen. And then it doesn't. Or maybe a college you want to get into. Something happens and it the contract you want so badly. And when it doesn't happen, you think it's the end because mm-hmm. how could it get, you know, what, you know? And so the key is to really just understand that oftentimes you're being protected from something mm-hmm. when those doors close and that you will be okay. There will be other ways. And sometimes those no's, those, those doors closing for you are really redirecting you to the thing that you're really supposed to be doing. So it goes back to your question on the why, you know, I've learned uh, from a book that I read a long time ago to instead of ask, why me? Just ask why. Because why me says, why me? Why do I have to be in this situation? It's more so focused on, oh, I'm a victim. I'm, I, I just, what, why, why is this happening to me? But why is, what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to get out of this? So don't ask why me. Try asking why. That's awesome. Um, so for the sake of time, I'll take two questions from our teams. So do any of you have any questions? <laughs> they all looked at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so stand up okay. and state your name because we all need to know who you are. I'm <laughs> um, And my question is, um, so how do you assert yourself as a black woman in a predominantly white space and I guess historically white space? Yes. So how do I assert myself? Um, You know, I think about how many rooms that I go into today where I may be the only woman, the only woman of color, um, and how at this stage of my life, at this stage of my life, I have to recognize why I'm there. There are still places where people will not acknowledge or kind of don't realize I'm the lieutenant governor of the state of Illinois. The lieutenant governor is supposed to be here. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me. And it reminds me of um, when I first started practicing law 25, 30, however many years ago there was when I walked into the courtroom and I was told, you have to go, uh, this is the line for lawyers only. Well, what made you think I wasn't a lawyer? So these judgments that are made um, come up all the time. I would not say that I necessarily would call what I do asserting myself. What I call it is I am present in the fullness of who I am. And the reason why I make that distinction is when I need to assert myself, I will. (laughs) But often it is just I'm here. 
and I'm listening and I'm present and I'm going to say what I need to say. And it's not because it's necessarily from an assertive standpoint. And I, I don't mean that you necessarily meant it as, as being you know aggressive or anything, but it's that there's sometimes when I don't need to prove to anybody else about who I am, what my qualifications are and what I'm doing here. And sometimes that's best done uh, somewhat quietly for me, not necessarily, but for me, sometimes it's done very quietly. Sometimes it's very strategically. And sometimes it's just, you know, listening. And when the time comes, I make it clear. Um, but I don't, um, I don't feel like I have to come in and sort of just sort of make an announcement in other words. And so I think when you just do what you do and, and master your craft, whatever that is, whatever you're supposed to be working on, master your craft, do it well, and the work will speak for itself. And then when you do get into situations where you feel that people are not very welcome, and kind of what I talked about earlier, when it's, it's actual hostility, and I don't actually feel what I would call just outright hostile, hostile spaces, but what I feel is that just... Um, you know, there are times that our voices are ignored and there are times that our voices are um, dismissed. Like, OK, yeah, but oh, you said that. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And you're like, um, just said that about five <laughs> minutes ago. So those kinds of things happen. And I think that the more that we can teach, the more that we can be authentic and bringing our voices to the table, more that. And I also make sure that I'm not ashamed to bring the perspective of being a black woman. Like that's something that I can say is something that I won't shy away from. Saints being very vocal about as a black woman, this is how I hear what you're saying, or this is what I'm thinking. And it doesn't mean that I can speak for everyone's experience either, because we're not monolithic. We're not all the same. But what I do try to do is say to the extent that I can, we need more perspectives here. So that's how I like to address it, that when I go into spaces, it's not just for myself. I'm kind of doing an assessment. Who else's voice is missing here? And then I try to say, since I'm there, I should help bring those other voices to the table. So those are just some of the things that I do to be in those spaces. Mm -hmm. One more question. I'm Sadie, and my question was, how do you handle a situation in which you're suddenly in face that you believe the person well, I, so I didn't work, I've worked in a courtroom for a couple of years, but for most of my time as practicing law, um, I was a mediator. So I wasn't taking sides one way or the other. What I did have to do as a mediator is I would have both parties sitting at the table and I had to be neutral. So the goal of being neutral is to not take sides and to not decide who should go one way or the other. I then, though, was an administrative law judge and an arbitrator, and that was even a different hat because I then was sitting in the role of being the judge where I had to make a decision. And I think it's always that you have to listen to both sides and that you have to make sure that people have the opportunity to tell their story. And I think it's the opportunity to decide based upon what I'm being told, what are all the factors? Who seems more credible? What are the things that I'm listening to that would make me rule for one party versus the other? I want to say that that's the same thing that we have to do in life all the time. We're always having to make those judgments as we are meeting people, as we're getting to know people. And we always have to be open first to say, you know what, from a neutral standpoint, I have a clean slate as it regard, in regards to you. So I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. But people will give you clues pretty early on 
as to whether they're trustworthy. You'll see things that they do as to whether they're somebody that you think would make a good friend, somebody you want to hang around, or they're somebody that's kind of wishy-washy. And I think that's the same kind of assessment that I had to make as a mediator and as a judge. Is there anything else you want to add? Any final thoughts, you know, um, to leave everyone with? Something you said that really stuck out to me um, was when you say you are good. I feel like you were talking to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Yvette said me too. You are. You, you are, are good. I mean, that's that's powerful. Mm-hmm. It's three words, but they are so powerful because yeah. um, sometimes we don't think we are. Yes, and we just keep chugging along. Like I'm not. I'm not good enough. Or yeah. I need to get this done. Or I'm. I'm. I'm just not there. And so I thank you for saying that um, personally. But is there any other final thoughts that you like to share? Yeah, I just would take that to, you know, I I appreciate what you just said and the acknowledgement that we are often told we're not good enough. Um, And not just we tell it to ourselves, I'm probably not going to make it. I probably won't get that job. I probably won't, whatever. But we also hear it and we hear it in so many different ways from so many different messengers. Um, We hear it in the media. We hear it in music. We hear it in in so many different spaces. And I think that um, we always have to be um, really vigilant about what we allow our ears to hear and our eyes to see, what messages we allow ourselves to take in. Because there's a lot out there that is telling us the exact opposite of what we need to hear Mm -hmm. and what we need to believe about ourselves. But then at the same time, we also have to be gentle. And that's, I guess, I I said it before, but I want to pick up on that. Um, We can be our own worst critics. We can be the one that can look in the mirror in the morning and think, gosh, I just don't like what I see, you know, or we could, you know, put on some clothes and put on what was a, just a cute outfit that you just thought you were going to go. And then you put it on and you look in the mirror and you think, I just don't look right. You know, mm-hmm. like those are the kinds of things that we can end up telling ourselves over and over again. I'm not good enough. And so I think the just thing that I would leave with is that we are, mm-hmm. we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are in how we are to be. doesn't mean that we can't improve. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to be better but we are good. We are good enough. And we will today do the best that we can. And for the areas that we didn't quite meet the mark, we pick up the next day and we try it again. And I think that when we can be gentle and more forgiving of ourselves, then it'll allow us to be open to all the opportunities that are coming our way. Because when we're critical of ourselves, we kind of close ourselves off off to stuff because we don't believe that it's really for us. But when we just kind of say, you know what, this is who I am. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I'm good. What? What? (laughs) What? I'm good. I'm here. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Then it it leads us to be more, um, more available, more available. So I hope we can all be available, be available to what the good that's coming our way. Well, this was good. (laughs) This was good and much needed. And um, I thank you. I thank you for sharing your journey with us today and inspiring us today. 
Um, tomorrow is a new day yes. to just kind of take these nuggets and just kind of insert them into our daily lives. So I thank you for today.